Okay. Our, our uh, topic this morning is uh, religious liberty. And as I was uh, sitting there uh, behind the pulpit, I thought back to the very first uh, sermon I preached on religious liberty. Uh, it was a good one. Um, for one reason, it was very short. And uh, I remember uh, it was back before I was married, and uh, uh, I must have been working the afternoon shift at the hospital because I was at home uh, when I preached this sermon. And uh, at this time, uh, I was rooming with a young man from Germany, and uh, he was a medical student, and he was interested in natural remedies, and he was an atheist. And I remember uh, one morning, I was on my knees in the room where we both bunked together, and uh, I was praying, and he walked in the room, and I think I must have looked up from my prayer, and our eyes met, and he asked me a question. He, he said, do I offend you? And I thought a second and said, what do you mean? And he said, um, I'm an atheist. I don't pray. I don't go to church. Does this offend you? And so with, with me on my knees and with him standing over me, I uh, told him about the separation of church and state. And uh, after I got done, he thought a moment and he said, he said, uh, you know, I like that. And you know what? I like it too. I like the fact that uh, men and women who are of all different Christian denominations, of all different beliefs, non-Christian beliefs, and people who don't believe anything. I, I'm thankful that they can all live together, side by side, in the same neighborhood, work in the same company, and believe what they want to believe. And you know, it hasn't always been that way in the world. And uh, we want to keep it that way, don't we? We, we want to live in a society where people can be free to believe what they want to believe. That, that's the way God wants it, isn't it? He doesn't want to force anybody. So our text says, uh, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And I believe that uh, what we're going to study this, uh, this morning and this part of this afternoon um, goes right along with our Sabbath school lesson because it's about the Holy Spirit. Now, um, I want to be very simple and straightforward here. And I want to ask the question and answer this question. What can you do to preserve true religious liberty? 
I, I want you to be in on this. This is not something for somebody else to do. What can you do personally to preserve true religious liberty here in this country and wherever you might be from? Uh, well, the first thing you can do is uh, support the religious liberty offering. As uh, Steve has already said, it goes to the end of February. With this offering, uh, we supply Liberty magazines to government officials, people in the media, the press, and other influential decision makers. So they can understand better the doctrine of separation of church and state and the uh, true principle of religious liberty. Everybody needs to support that because we know that when prophecy is fulfilled in Revelation 14 and 13, it will be because public opinion will demand an end to religious liberty. And so the only, one of the things we can do is educate the public, educate thought leaders, so that they will preserve this great privilege we have in this country. Also, the offering goes to support the Religious Liberty Department of the North American Division. And they provide legal counsel to Sabbath keepers, especially in um, work-related disputes regarding Sabbath. That's probably the main uh, point of uh, tension between Seventh-day Adventists and uh, society in general. When we accept the Sabbath, we know that uh, it's quite common that there comes a uh, conflict with your employer because they want you to work on Sabbath, but you know you can't. And so uh, what do you do if you get fired for being faithful to God? And so they do supply um, uh, legal counsel to those who face that kind of issue. And of course, we know that uh, religious liberty is an issue all over the world. Uh, and so I'm sure part of this offering goes to support that also. Um, on that issue, uh, this last week, I heard on the radio that in Slovakia, used to be Czechoslovakia, but I think they separated those two countries. I understand that um, the parliament there passed a law uh, requiring churches to register. And I suppose if the, if the church, well, they said that the church needs to be, have 20,000 members or more. Uh, and, I, and there will be restrictions placed on the religious activities of those who do not meet that threshold. And I, I looked on the uh, Sabbath school lesson for the uh, European division and we don't come near 20,000. So our church, right at this time, is going to face some kind of restrictions in the country of Slovakia. So things are happening, 
and some of those things are not good. So support the religious liberty offering. That's the first thing we can do. The second thing we can do is pray for our leaders in government. We've just had a change of government in this country, and we need to pray for them, uh, especially if we think they're on the wrong track. We need to pray for them. You know how easily you are led astray by the devil. Well, what about these men in high office? Do you think the devil works on them? Probably works on them twice as hard as he works on you. So it behooves us to pray that God's Spirit will influence our government leaders. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And we can help them immensely by interceding on their behalf. We can be supportive when possible. And we can offer constructive criticism when necessary. Whenever a public official suggests or introduces legislation that touches on the issue of the separation of church and state or on religious issues, it is important and sometimes essential for Seventh-day Adventists to speak out. It is a sin to remain silent when you should speak out. Of course, we know it's a sin also to speak out when you should remain silent. Well, may the Lord give us wisdom to know when to speak out and when to remain silent. I was um, given a promise this week uh, regarding that. Uh, we read Psalm 141. And as part of the prayer, the psalmist prayed to God, keep the door of my lips. I like that. Keep the door of my lips. Let God be the doorkeeper of your lips. You know what the doorkeeper does. He opens the door and he closes the door. And so we need help in that regard so that we'll know when to speak out and when to remain silent. But we can offer constructive criticism, not, not in anger, not using abusive language, which is right now very, very common in political discourse. It gets down to the absolute vulgar using four-letter language, four-letter words, and obscenities in connection with uh, political questions. But we can speak out on political questions if it is an issue related to the third, three angels' messages. And Ellen White makes that plain, you know. Sunday laws, we're to speak out. Temperance issues. Uh, unfortunately, we lost an opportunity uh, uh, this last November to speak out. When I went to vote, um, I uh, was surprised and shocked to find a, uh, a ballot initiative uh, on the ballot there, um, a county initiative to permit liquor by the drink. That passed by 1,100 votes. 
So we can expect that uh, uh, restaurants are going to open who will offer liquor by the drink. You know, historically, Dade County has been a dry county. I remember coming here in 1979, and I think at that time, no liquor was sold in Dade County. In fact, I remember, uh, you know, if you drive north on Highway 11, and you, when you cross the state line, and right there were at, uh, 11 branches off uh, Wahatchee Pike, there's this little store there. It was open back then, it's closed now, but that was the first place somebody from Dade County could go, at least going north, that was the first place somebody could go to buy liquor. It was across the state line in Hamilton County, what is now Chattanooga. But historically, we have been dry. And uh, of course, uh, they passed the liquor ordinance now and you can buy uh, beer and wine at uh, grocery stores and uh, gas stations, but that's a closed container. If you go into Chattanooga, there in Lookout Valley, you have bars and saloons where you can pour a drink and they can drink by the, they can purchase liquor by the drink. Now necessarily, when you do that, it's very likely that after you imbibe your alcohol, you're gonna jump in a car and drive. And I know what that's like. When I was young and stupid, I drove drunk. I could have killed somebody. Thank the Lord, I didn't. That would have been terrible to change somebody's life like that. But Dade County wants to lure a um, big chain restaurant. And so in preparation for that, they have to have a liquor license available for that big chain restaurant. Now they've made a restriction regarding this in that it has to be along the interstate where there's uh, a sewer hookup. Now guess what? There's only one place in Dade County where there is a sewer hookup along the interstate. Guess where that is? It's at the Wildwood exit. I read that in the uh, online. That, that's what the county commissioner said. <laughs> so shall I say that we uh, missed an opportunity? We could have, from the pulpit, opposed that ordinance. That's, that's not a, a mingling of church and state. In fact, the 501c3 that we enjoy, which is our uh, tax exemption, does not forbid us from speaking out on issues like abortion and uh, um, uh, liquor prohibition. It, it All it prevents us from doing is uh, uh, speaking out on partisan polit political issues, you know, vote for this man or or vote against them or something like that. But we can speak out on issues like this. It would have been a wonderful uh, 
evangelistic opportunity. You know, we could have gone door to door to say vote against the liquor ordinance. We don't need more liquor. Uh, we could have gone to the churches, the pastors, and said, let us speak to your congregation on this matter because this involves a moral issue. But anyway, it's too late now. So we know what's, <laughs> what's possible now. I might end up living across the street from a place where they're selling liquor by the drink. Or it might be uh, just below uh, the, the boys, uh, the advanced boys dormant there at Sunnyside on your side. I don't know where they're going to, where they might put this. So anyway, where was I? That's right. Um, we can speak out on legislation uh, that touches on issues related to the three angels message. And we know that's one of the issues we can speak out on. But when it comes to politics, uh, where we're talking about voting for this person or voting against somebody else, we can't do that and still retain our 501c3. Um, now, that doesn't mean that some people, everybody agrees with that. Uh, the the uh, Trump administration is wanting to remove that restriction, and they're wanting to introduce legislation to make it possible for churches to speak out on uh, partisan issues. But uh, according to the polling, about 75% of Christians do not agree with that. So that's good. I'm glad people don't want to see politics in the pulpit because it just uh, uh, tears the congregation apart. And not only that, and this is probably the worst thing about that, is that it it makes churches into what they call political action committees, if you know what that is. Those are organizations that take in money to promote a political agenda. You remove the restrictions on that 501c3, and you're going to see a lot of money going into churches. It'll be very attractive because uh, you donate to a 501c3, and you get it. Uh, a receipt and you can get a tax deduction and so hundreds of thousands of dollars going into the churches what kind of influence do you suppose that would have on the message in those churches they're going to want to change their message to please the donors and that's corruption that's corruption we don't want to see that okay so that anyway that's something Again, we can talk about, we can talk about this pending legislation, and that's okay. So, anyway, we need to pray. We need to pray that uh, God's Spirit will prevail in this area. And we can also, like I said before, we can offer constructive criticism. And we can supply thought leaders with Liberty Magazine, because I'm sure this is going to be part of the, the magazine, this issue of tax exemption. So we can pray for our government leaders. And thirdly, and most importantly, 
we can pray for a spirit of revival and reformation. And I'm talking about in our own church here. I was very heartened by that testimony. Uh, uh, May shared that Friday morning at our staff meeting, and I'm thankful to hear it again. Um, this is a part of what we can do uh, to promote religious liberty, is to pray for a spirit of revival and reformation. Let me read here from Great Controversy, page 443. When the early church became corrupted by departing from the simplicity of the gospel and accepting heathen rites and customs, she lost the spirit and power of God. And in order to control the consciences of the people, she sought the support of the secular power. The result was the papacy, a church that controlled the power of the state and employed it to further her own ends, especially for the punishment of heresy. And that's where our text especially comes in where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty but compromise with sin to the degree that we compromise with sin we diminish the influence of the Holy Spirit and in order to preserve unity to control the consciences of the people which should only be controlled by the power of the Spirit the church sought instead, in order to preserve that unity, the church sought the power of the government and oppressive enactments were, uh, were enacted to provide that unity. When the early church became corrupted by departing from the simplicity of the gospel and accepting heathen rites and customs, she lost the spirit and power of God. And in order to control the consciences of the people, she sought the support of the secular power. Well, that's how it went back there in the fourth century, especially under Constantine. And we remember Constantine there in the fourth century uh, enacting those Sunday laws. Well, we also need to remember what else he did. He took the enactments or the edicts of popes and bishops and he incorporated them into Roman law and he created ecclesiastical courts in order to persecute those who might have different religious opinions. This is probably the greatest curse that has ever been put on the human race. Right there, the most despicable act in all of history is the incorporation into secular law of ecclesiastical courts. And so, as a result, professed Christians became the absolute worst and most vicious persecutors 
in the history of the world. Can you imagine it? People who take the name of Christ became, becoming the most absolute and worst, worse than any of the heathen emperors of imperial Rome, worse than all the Greeks, certainly worse than the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar. And so that's how it went. But the road to persecution began well before that. How was it that Christians came out of the womb of the loving Jesus and then were led to become the worst persecutors? What took place? Well, our, our statement tells us, when the early church became corrupted by departing from the simplicity of the gospel, and accepting heathen rites and customs, she lost the spirit and power of God. So we need to pray for a spirit of revival and reformation. We cannot, as a people, do anything to preserve religious liberty unless we ourselves have the spirit of liberty in our hearts. And that spirit will not coexist with compromise, with worldliness. And we do, do we not have a need then in our church for some reformation? I'm so happy. This is very significant. This, this revival at the Great Lakes Academy, this is very significant. You know that before the um, war for independence here in this country, before there in 1776, before that took place, there were a series of spiritual revivals that spread all across the American colonies. Collectively, they are known as the Great Awakening. And that, in and of itself, became the catalyst for the American Revolution. Because with that with those revivals and reformation came the spirit of God. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And, and we ourselves, we're facing a great war for independence, aren't we? A great war for worldwide uh, liberation. And we need to be prepared ourselves. If we're going to be in the army of the Lord fighting for religious liberty, we can't have compromise with sin in our own hearts because the spirit of liberty and compromise with sin do not coexist. He is the spirit of truth, not the spirit of error. You know, you can't, uh, the, the, the Lord is not going to sanction or support the preaching of error. He will depart if that is the case. And so departing from the simplicity of the gospel and accepting heathen rites and customs, worldliness in other words, that uh, separated the church from the true spirit and of liberty. The church lost the spirit and power of God. She lost the spirit of true liberty. So, to preserve liberty, we must pray for revival and reformation.
pray for it, and work for it. We cannot compromise with the world on music, entertainment, the books we read. If we do, we lose the source of our liberty, the Holy Spirit. Okay, so those are some practical things we can do. It rests with us day by day whether or not we will be preparing for the times that are ahead and even the times are that are here now. Okay, now with the time remaining, I want to uh, discuss some issues that have come up. We've already talked about what's happening in Europe, Slovakia, uh, a, uh, uh, a short period of freedom for those people is, seems to be uh, somewhat closing and we need to be praying for them. Here in this country, just last, um, in fact, uh, I guess a week ago today, um, our president signed an executive order bringing to a halt um, immigration from uh, seven Muslim-majority countries so that no refugee or um, a visa holder from the seven Muslim-majority countries can enter the United States. The last report I saw said that this affected about 100,000 people. And it was sprung suddenly and uh, caused some uh, confusion and uh, certainly distress for the people who were uh, hung up in the system. At any rate, uh, the, pardon? Uh, no, not yet. I'll get to that. I'll get to that. Uh, of course, the purpose of this uh, halt is to uh, provide for national security because the seven countries that are mentioned, uh, most of them uh, have, some of them have civil strife in them. And as a result, there are present in these countries uh, terrorist organizations who we know will seek to use our immigration process to, uh, um, you might say, infiltrate our country. At least that's the fear. Uh, and uh, kill people. And we've had uh, three specially noted uh, instances where this has happened. Uh, well, I, let me back up. We've had three specific instances where people who happen to be Muslim, I'm going to phrase this very carefully, people who happen to be Muslim have uh, committed or sought to commit mass murder. In San Bernardino, we had a couple, a husband and a wife, Muslim, who not far from Loma Linda Hospital killed I don't know, I think 19 people, their fellow workers, where they worked, shot them dead. And uh, 
the wife was a recent immigrant. Uh, I think she was an, a Saudi national who immigrated through Pakistan. And then, of course, down in Orlando, you had 50, uh, 50 people killed in that gay nightclub by probably a mentally disturbed man who uh, uh, said he was a, uh, uh, inspired by ISIS. And uh, then, of course, the Boston bombing, the Sarnayev brothers from Uzbekistan, I think, Muslim. Yeah, the Chattanooga shooting. I think he was probably mentally disturbed also. But this arouses inquiry. Are they committing these crimes because of their religious convictions? And that's one of the dangers, the main danger from the current war in, on terror is that the main perpetrators, the main terrorists, claim they're doing this in the name of their religion. And so that, that uh, creates a very dangerous situation in connection with um, uh, religious liberty. At any rate, let me, I have the full text here of the executive order. And uh, let me, I'm just gonna read it. it now this, this affects uh, this uh, uh, ban or, or uh, uh, oh, that's another thing. Uh, now the, the executive order does not mention the word Muslim. It doesn't mention the word Muslim, but one of uh, Donald Trump's main supporters, Rudy Giuliani, former mayor of New York, on television, of all places, said that, well, we wanted to uh, uh, create a Muslim ban, with, uh, but not call it a Muslim ban, which, uh, well, I guess he let the cat out of the bag. Anyway, this only affects Syrians, Libyans, Iraqis, people from Sudan, Somalia, Yemen, and Iran. So there are the two most populated Muslim countries, uh, Indonesia and India, aren't affected. Pakistan's not affected. Egypt's not affected. Pardon? No, not the Saudis. Probably not. So there's a lot that aren't affected. So, but anyway, let me read just uh, the rationale and then we'll get to the future. That question you asked about uh, religious minorities. Okay, numerous foreign-born individuals have been convicted or implicated in terrorism-related crimes since September 11, 2001, including foreign nationals who entered the United States after receiving visitor, student, or employment visas or who entered through the United States Refugee Resettlement Program. Deteriorating conditions in certain countries due to war, strife, disaster, and civil unrest increase the likelihood that terrorists will use any means possible to enter the United States. The United States must be vigilant during the visa issuance process to ensure that those approved for admission do not intend to harm Americans and that they have no ties to terrorism. And so the purpose of this halt to immigration is so that they can review and change their uh, vetting system. 
the screening system. Uh, going on to read again. In order to protect Americans, the United States must ensure that those admitted to this country do not bear hostile attitudes toward it and its founding principles. The United States cannot and should not admit those who do not support the Constitution or those who would place violent ideologies over American law. In addition, the United States should not admit those who engage in acts of bigotry or hatred, including honor killings, other forms of violence against women, or the persecution of those who practice religions different from their own, or those who would oppress Americans of any race, gender, or sexual orientation. So we're not wanting, that. that's the rationale. I thought it was interesting uh, there it mentioned forms of violence against women. Well, guess what? The perfect Muslim state, Saudi Arabia, they stone to death women who are caught in adultery. If that's not violence against women, I don't know what is, but the executive order doesn't bar Saudi Arabians anyway. And by the way, I just saw a video where a, uh, this is a Muslim government official in England, in Great Britain. In England, the government, um, the government uh, 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 supports religious schools. So if you're Catholic, there's a Catholic government school. If you're Protestant, there's a Protestant government school. If you're Muslim, you're a Muslim. Uh, there's a Muslim government school. But the the head of the uh, the Muslim government school on TV, he would not categorically um, uh, condemn the stoning of women for committing adultery. He said, "Oh no, look, it's too complicated. We we if if due process is done, you know that's that could be all right." See, he would not he would not do that. That that's the mind, the thinking. So. There, there are reasons for these uh, concerns about uh, immigration from Muslim-majority countries. So the question, of course, is, is this, is this legal? Is it constitutional? And uh, the president has broad powers, and some think that uh, it can't be stopped. Okay, now, going into the future, just one thought, and then we'll close here. Um, uh, visa holders are um, banned temporarily for 90 days. Uh, refugees who are seeking admittance to the United States, they're held up for 120 days. But uh, let me read here from the, um, uh, the executive order. Upon the resumption of the United States Refugee Assistance Program, the Secretary of State, in consultation with the Secretary of Homeland Security, is further directed to make changes to the extent permitted by law to prioritize refugee claims made by individuals 
on the basis of religious-based persecution, provided that the religion of the individual is a minority religion in the individual's country of nationality. So uh, they want to prioritize those who are suffering persecution if they're of a minority religion. Uh, therefore, if from, uh, in connection with uh, Muslim majority countries, Muslims would not be prioritized, uh, but Christians would. So that answers your question there. And we know that uh, this is the purpose of this uh, um, executive order because the president himself last month on the Christian Broadcasting Network stated that he wanted to prioritize um, Christian refugees who are uh, being persecuted. So um, at any rate, that's how it stands now. Now again, well, in other words, if you are a Christian living in a Muslim majority country and you are experiencing religious persecution, then you will be put to the head of the line ahead of a Muslim who is experiencing religious persecution. You see, uh, Muslims experience uh, far more persecution in their own country than they ever experience here. Uh, it's, it's very common to hear on the radio of uh, especially Sunni Muslims blowing up a Shiite mosque, killing dozens and dozens of Shiites. There is a... a um, a tremendous animosity between these two parts of uh, the Muslim community. So uh, Muslims experience a great deal of persecution in their own country, even though it's a Muslim-majority country. Um, now, the president uh, does recognize that Muslims are persecuted. He said as much uh, in uh, a speech at the prayer breakfast this week. They had that. They have that every year. So at any rate, again, is this constitutional to make a choice between that which is a religious minority and those being persecuted who are among the majority? Well, I'm thankful we live in a country where these kinds of questions will be decided peacefully in court by people talking to each other. You know, that's one of the great blessings we have in this country, that when we have a change of government, it's done peacefully. Uh, if you read ancient history especially, you know that uh, that was hardly ever the case when the king would be uh, changed. It was usually through assassination or war or something like that. So we can be thankful. And we can also be thankful for one more thing. Uh, two more texts, then we'll go. From the book of Daniel, 
were assured. What did Daniel say? How did he praise God when God showed him the dream in Daniel 2? He said, he setteth up, he, he removeth kings and he setteth up kings. Yes. He's the one who changes our rulers. So we can have some peace about that. And of course, Daniel chapter 4, the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men. And giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over the basis of man. So God is ultimately in charge of our uh, uh, governmental leaders. And so, uh, again, we may disagree with some of their decisions, but what's our response? Constructive criticism and prayer. That's what we want to do. Be respectful and uh, let your voice be heard but especially pray okay what's our closing hymn i think it's uh is it 269 <laughs>